It's good to see everyone here this morning. It is wonderful to be here worshiping with you all. You know, last week we finished up a sermon series on our church values and the book of Acts. And in two weeks, we're going to be jumping into a new sermon series, November 27th, for Advent. It's called Unwrapped, the True Gifts of Christmas. And we're going to be looking at those those real gifts that, that Christ brings us in Christmas, the joy, the peace, hope. And love, and, and, and I hope that you would take the time to invite some friends and family because I don't think there could be a more timely sermon series. You know, as I watched the election Tuesday night, late, late into the night, I began to watch as some people were so devastated that they were falling to their knees and sobbing, and other people were so elated that they couldn't stop chanting in joy. And if there was one thing that was true for everyone that night, it seemed like, Millions of Americans had put a whole lot of the hope, peace, and joy of their life onto an election. And so as God's people, as this church, we recognize that whether your house was red or blue, our hope is found in Christ alone, right? We recognize that no matter what side of the political aisle that you sit on in this nation, that as followers of Jesus, we're citizens of a kingdom infinitely greater than this. And so I just think it's such an excellent reminder, and a reminder that we need so badly during this Advent sermon series as we head through it, to just be reminded that our our ultimate hope Peace, joy, love in life, it doesn't come from anything in this world. It comes from Christ. So I, so I pray that you'd join us and also just invite friends and family. Uh, much easier, for some reason, invite folks around, around this time of year. So that's in two weeks, which leaves us with two standalone sermons this week. And next, next week, we're going to be able to enjoy Patrick Tanton, our new interim senior pastor's very first message as our interim senior pastor, and I'm really excited. I've been getting to know this guy over the last week or two, and I just, I think it's a miracle that, that he's here with us, and it's an enormous blessing for our church, and so I'm so, so excited, guys, for him to be getting going. But that leaves me to kind of preach on anything this morning, so we're going to be looking at one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and what I think is one of the biggest questions that we have in life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that, that, that every person that is here uh, uh, is here for you this morning, Lord. We pray that you would just open your word uh, to us, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would be uh, different people leaving as we were when we came in here this morning, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, I spent some time, uh, some months traveling with, with a friend, and every once in a while, just for a few days at a time, some stranger or new friend would come along and travel with us. And on such occasion, a guy started traveling with us for a few days, and one night we, we headed up into the mountains, the three of us, to spend the evening, and we came to this huge river, and right along a bend, we made a fire for, for the night. The three of us after dinner gathered firewood and we laid back against the cool riverbed to watch the moon go down, the moon come up and the, the stars come out. And as we lied there, we started, started having a conversation. We hadn't had a serious conversation with this, this new friend yet. And, and as we talked, we realized that, that he just didn't believe in God at all. And as we kind of poked and 
prodded at questions of faith, he began to just bring out arguments uh, about why he did not believe in God without barely coming up for a breath. So we had a good, friendly conversation talking about in his beliefs, and so the conversation really was not going much of anywhere, and we just fell silent watching the stars come out. And then seemingly out of nowhere, after minutes of silence, that expanse and beauty prompted him to a question that he had not wanted to admit. Out of nowhere in the dark, he said, the one thing I don't understand is, why am I here? Anyone here, someone asked this question, maybe you've asked it yourself, right? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? It is one of life's greatest questions, and it's a question that we all ask, and I believe it's a question that's so profound in our lives because there's a haunting fear behind it. There's a fear that ultimately the answer is no, you don't have a purpose, that we're nothing but spare parts. In Matthew 22, Jesus has been cornered by some of the religious leaders of the day. They're trying to ask him questions to really trip him him up. But every time they ask a question, he puts them in their place. And so one of them says, I'm going to ask him the question, the one we're all debating, the big one, and see if we can get him. And so he asks, Verse 35 of Matthew 22, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There's this book called the Jewish Talmud, and it's the rabbis, guys just like these, the rabbis' explanation and commentary on the Torah, which was the first five books of our Old Testament. And in that Talmud, rabbis just like these decided that there were 613 commandments in the Torah. 613. Somebody took the time to count. And in that day, one of the biggest religious debates that was brewing was this discussion of which one of those 613 is the very most important. Which one of the 613 can actually summarize the rest? And it seems kind of a silly debate to us, kind of arbitrary, but it wasn't in the day because of how they had come to view the law. They had come to see those 613 commandments. They had come to see obeying them, obeying the law as how you gained a relationship with God. Furthermore, they had come to view the law in this way that, that we as humans actually exist to fulfill and to obey the law instead of the us command way around. So answering this question of what's the greatest commander, how do you summarize the law or, or find that greatest command was really them asking that purpose-driven question, that biggest question in life. Because to them, the law was actually why they existed. So this was their way and their vernacular and their culture and their day of asking that same question that that new friend posed to me on the riverbed that night. On the surface, it looks like the question is, what's the greatest command? Pick one of the 613. But really, this guy is asking, Jesus, why do we exist? Is there a purpose in life? 
Why are we here? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. So what's the purpose of life? It starts with loving God. Love God. Jesus is actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5 here, which is called the Shema in, in Judaism, which said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What's the purpose in life? Why do we exist? Jesus says it is to love God, to love God with every fiber of our existence. And you got to remember who's, who's talking here. If you want to know the purpose to absolutely anything in life, ask its creator. Ask its creator. And here, that's who we're listening to. Jesus claimed to be God. God created, and therefore we are listening to our creator say, I created you to love me. But if you don't get this, you'll have through decades without understanding your purpose in life. And you'll have a nagging, haunting feeling that you're nothing but a spare part. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Ikea. Who's been to Ikea? Okay. For those of you who haven't been to Ikea, Ikea is an obnoxiously monstrous furniture store, a Swedish furniture store that takes just a little bit of assembly. Right? Have you ever tried to build these, one of these things? It takes so much assembly. If ever you want to test your marriage one weekend, take a Saturday, go shopping at Ikea, and see if you both make it out alive. All right? Great test of your marriage. And so a few years ago when Megan and I bought our house, we moved from this tiny little apartment to a house, and we were trying to find some, some furniture. And so for a few months, every few weeks, we'd actually go to Ikea, do a shopping trip, and, and come home and build this stuff. And every trip was the same. You go to Ikea, you walk what feels like about 13 miles, and you've got your list. You pick out some furniture, but you don't actually, you don't actually buy that furniture, right? You buy a box with about 300 parts that has the, the potential to become a piece of furniture. If you ever want to test your patience, just buy anything from Ikea and see if you can put it together without throwing something out the window. So I'd bring these boxes home, and I'd start to, to work away on, on, on building this, this furniture. And there'd be about 23 steps in anything. It didn't matter what it was. And, you know, you, it takes you so long, and you're just worried if you're getting it right. There's... You know, the instructions are cartoons instead of words. And so you get to the end, and you've got your piece of furniture there, and you step back, and every time I'd be, I'd be so proud that I got this, this piece of furniture done. I'd be so happy. And then without fail, same thing would happen every time. I'd go back to throw the box away, and there'd be one spare part left in the box. And it didn't matter if it was shelves or a bookcase or a table or a bed. Every single time, without fail, there would be one spare part in the box. One spare part. Uh, I bet there's some little guy in Sweden on the assembly line just thinking, I know how I'm going to drive those Americans crazy. I'm going to put one spare part in every box. And there's just a spare part guy, every single box. 
But every time I'd end up with this one spare bolt or this one spare part, and it would drive me crazy because there was no purpose to it. It seemed like it was just an accident that this spare part that we ask in life is probably, why do I exist? Why am I here? But we ask it because of a fear, a fear that we're nothing but a spare part. A few years ago, I got to officiate a wedding of two of my friends, and after the wedding at the reception a few hours later, one of their friends kind of came and sat next to me while everyone was, was dancing. We had gotten to know each other a bit, and he knew I was a minister, and I don't know if it was the emotion of seeing two good friends get married or a few trips to the bar, but that filter between his head and his mouth kind of just was erased that night. And so he started telling me the story of his life in a way he had never told it before because he had always left out the pivot point that one of his parents had died when he was young. And, and from the outside, he was the successful engineer in his 30s. But over the blare of the music, as he began to tell me the real story of his life, the truth was he had always questioned the meaning of his parents' death, how there could be any purpose behind it. And it had driven him, for all his success, to not believe that there had been meaning in his life. And so at the end of our conversation, barely being able to hear each other over the music, he said, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure if I have a purpose. That's our worry, and that's why we ask, that's why we ask this question. That fear that we're nothing but a spare part. And for him, his agnostic worldview, it just kept coming up short. Answering that question with a haunting silence. Are we nothing but a spare part? Do we have a purpose? Jesus says, yeah. Yeah, you have a profound purpose. Here's what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. God does not make spare parts. We each have a purpose, and our purpose is to love God, to glorify God, to worship God. Psalm 139, 14 tells us, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You were not an accident. You were wonderfully created for a reason. As we read in Revelation 4:11, in a heavenly scene with all creatures praising and worshiping God, saying, you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You were created to love God and by God. You were created in a unique way to love God. No one on this earth can love God the way you can. No one else can praise God with your voice. God does not make spare parts. And look at this world, everything has a purpose. Sun has a purpose. Plants have a purpose. Even bacteria has a purpose. The truth that you are alive and breathing proves that you do in fact have a purpose. God does not make spare parts. Maybe there are some of us here this morning who don't have faith in Jesus or have not quite decided who he is. And if that's where you're at this morning, I want to chat with you for, for a second because I know, I know 
that, it, that it's easy to feel like a spare part. I know that it's easy to feel like you have no purpose in life. And here's the thing. You do have a purpose. You do have a purpose. But you will never find it alone. Your purpose is a piece of a bigger plan of God. So back to our Ikea cabinet. Maybe you're a bolt, right? And you see, as a bolt, you're noticing these ways that you've been uniquely shaped, your unique personalities, skills, experiences. But it doesn't make a lot of sense why you're shaped this way. You've been created in a unique way, but without a bigger picture in mind, that shape is not accomplishing a purpose. Without those screws and nuts and shelves and leg, your shape just doesn't make sense. A bolt, a bolt has no purpose alone, does it? No purpose at all. It only serves a purpose when it's connected to something greater than itself. And you can get as much money, as big of a house, as new as a car as possible. You can become as big and shiny of a bolt, but a bolt by itself never serves a purpose. And as long as you don't find out the part that you play in God's bigger plans, your life won't have a purpose. Here's my hope for you. This is where you're at if you haven't decided about about faith. That about 2,000 years ago, God became a person named Jesus. He lived a perfect life, died on a cross, raised from the grave, to forgive us of our sins, and when we have faith in him, when we have faith in that story, then we will find purpose. Our purpose is to love God, and then when we do love him, we begin to discover this this unique ways that he has crafted us, and we begin to be part of this, this community of the church, of other Christians, and we work alongside of them for Jesus, for his kingdom, and then as we do that, we find out that that our shape Maybe there's a bolt, that that unique way we've been made, that our shape, it fits in. Our unique personality, passion, skills was created for a special purpose. And we'll find that as we come alongside and work with people who are the nuts and the shelves and the legs and the nuts. So if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know his answer is yes, You have a purpose. Yes, you have a profound purpose, and it starts with the decision to love God. You were crafted for a reason. God does not make spare parts. Then for the rest of us, whether we've known Jesus for five days or five years or five decades, What does it mean for those of us who do know Jesus? Those of us who know Jesus can find ourselves in this same spot trying to understand God's purpose for our life. We we face decisions in our life, forks in the road, or not finding purpose in what we're up to in life, and we can quickly begin to ask this same question. Do I have purpose? What am I here for? Funny thing is, I used to actually put Ikea-like furniture together for a job. Did this for for a bit. I was having trouble finding a job a few years back and to make ends meet. One of my brothers and I started traveling around the country and and installing retail shops. And basically our job was to unload a truck the first day and for three days put together 
Ikea-like furniture in all of its pieces and parts, whether it was cabinets or shelves or whatever a store needed. And I remember one night I was, I was doing this, and I was in a Weight Watchers in Oklahoma City. I was installing a Weight Watchers in Oklahoma City, and it was the middle of the night. And we had been working hard all day. I was working on my fifth cabinet of the day, and the parts were just spread out all over the floor. And I don't know about you, maybe someone is crafted in this way, but for me, putting together a cabinet in a Weight Watchers Oklahoma City just didn't feel quite like the purpose I was created for. And I remember like it was yesterday when it hit me that night. It was two in the morning. I'm putting together this cabinet. I look out the window, just this black of night. Put the cabinet down. The guy on the carpet. And I just started praying. I said, God, what am I doing here? Why do you have me here right now? What's my purpose? Believers can get to this spot where we ask, what's my purpose? Am I just another spare part? The question often does come up when we're trying to figure out a decision with a job, starting a new career, or going back to school. One of those big, big, big decisions in life that's going to determine our position, our position. And it's easy to forget our purpose is bigger than our position. You'll never find ultimate purpose in a position, a job, a paycheck, career, raise, relationship. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your purpose is bigger than your position. Your purpose is bigger than your position. Our positions will change throughout life, but our purpose remains the same. Love God. Love God. And when we come to see our purpose under that broad context first of loving God, then all of the smaller decisions fall into place. And, and when we face those forks in the road in life, we can have peace knowing that we can be fulfilling God's purpose for us regardless of which way that we choose. And we will never again feel like a spare part. But how do we actually put this into real life? We start with prayer and reading scripture to love God, but then how do we live this purpose of, of loving God? It can feel intangible to love if an invisible being, can't it? And that's where the second part of Jesus' answer comes in. Remember that question from Matthew 22? Jesus, what's the greatest command? Why am I here? It begins with loving God, but there's a second part to Jesus' answer. He says this in verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the question was, Jesus, what's the single greatest command? And Jesus could count to two, right? One, two. He knew that they were just asking for one, but he gives two. Because you can't have one without the other. They're linked. We live our purpose of loving God by loving others. The question is, what's my purpose in life? The answer is love God. And now here's how that purpose becomes really practical, by loving others. As Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. He created you. He prepared you in a unique 
way so you could live your purpose of loving him by loving others. And the more you discover the unique ways that he crafted you, the more you discover those unique ways your creator made you and use them for the good of others, the more you're going to be filled with a sense of purpose in life. Because God does not make spare parts. What types of situations have you found yourself asking this question in life? When in your life have you found yourself asking these questions of purpose, of why am I here, what do I exist for, what am I supposed to be up to in life? Have you been in a job that's really not fulfilling you, that doesn't feel like it has a whole lot of purpose behind it? There's a reason you're there. God does not make spare parts. Or maybe you're retired and you're trying to find some direction and some purpose in the next few years ahead, wondering if you can bring meaning to these years. There's, there's direction. Love God, love others. God does not make spare parts. Maybe you've gotten out of school just in, in the last few years and you're trying to become something you don't even know what it is. And if you get there, you're not sure whether there'll be purpose to be found. God does not make spare parts. Maybe your family life hasn't quite worked out like you thought it would. And now you find yourself a few years down the road and, and you're alone struggling to find meaning in your day-to-day -day life. There is meaning to be found in loving God and loving others. God does not make spare parts. Or maybe for you, you've actually been quite successful in your life. You have a lot of achievements behind you. And every time you, you achieve something, you always look to the next. And now you're finding that for all those achievements, none have been fulfilling. None have brought the meaning that you thought they would. There's more meaning and purpose in God's plans than any of our achievements. God does not make Spare parts. So wherever you find yourself this morning asking this question of what's my purpose, why am I here? Jesus answers that question for us this morning. Simple answer. It'll take the rest of our lives to live. Love God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time of just us being here together. We pray that, that you would help us to always know that we have a purpose, not to be found in any position or anything of this world, but always and only in loving you. We do love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand for our final song?